0: You listen to quite a few podcasts, I listen to a fair few podcasts as well, and I always find that when they start out, they're usually in the sub-hour mark for a good 10, 20 episodes, and then after that, massively increase in length to 70 minutes, and then sometimes there's pushing two hours. So I think that's probably what's going to happen with these podcasts now, because I end up cutting out a lot that I actually wish I could leave in to keep them sub-hours. So I think it's just going to go beyond an hour from this point on.
1: Okay, but you can still chop out the bit where I uh, read the entirety of Lord of the Rings
0: for no reason? Oh yeah, absolutely. That goes without saying. The Bilbo impression is just painful. Honest Andy's Discount Moon Show! Hello and welcome to Honest Andy's Discount Moon Show. I am Andy, a self-confessed moon expert, and this is my co-host Rick, who is going to be the everyman with everyman-like questions. Isn't that right, Rick?
1: That's uh, right, Andy. How are you? How is your lockdown month going?
0: The lockdown month has been trying. Even though I've got a lot more free time on my hands since I'm not commuting anymore, I'm doing significantly less exercise and drinking considerably more and just being generally a bit miserable because it, it's just every day is like a Saturday, <laughs> which in
1: theory <laughs> yeah, is great. I was going to say, you're not selling that well, but I think everyone knows what you mean.
0: Like In theory, it's great. By the way, I'm, I still have a job, so I'm not able to plough through all my massive watch list or be able to play what I want to all day, which by the way is Age of Empires 2, the definitive edition, and I have been absolutely addicted to it. Uh I, I love playing this game. I didn't realise how much I enjoyed it. I've been sinking so much time into that. Yeah, it's every day has just been this weird getting up later than I normally do, staying up a bit later than I normally do. So it's but I still have a job to do, so I still need to be professional. It's just a bit weird. It's starting to get a bit of cabin fever now. Whereas you are self-employed, so are you working during this lockdown?
1: Uh, I'm technically out of contract at the moment, but I'm developing my own programming language. So yeah, I'm actually doing probably more work and more intellectual heavy lifting than I do normally. Uh,
0: So um, it, it keeps me sane. But that's stuff that you want to do rather than stuff that you've been told to do. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm
1: having sort of a great time. It, it's been a project I've wanted to get around to for years. I, I looked at my notes and at the bottom of it, it says copyright 2014. Oh, wow. Uh, so on my sort of original tech notes, and I've gone I've back to them and with new ideas and so that. So yeah, it's been, it's been on my to do list for what, six years at least. Getting around to actually doing it and it's going well, so that's good.
0: That's excellent. How long will it be until it's like fully functioning?
1: Oh, um, it'd be good if it was done this year. Uh, I'm not not a coder by trade, so uh, things take a while and I've not done a language before. And uh, yeah, I'm trying to work out very basic stuff from scratch. So, um, well, not basic stuff, it's some weird, complicated dual layer typing system stuff. And I can kind of see why no one's invented this type of language before.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think you've bitten off more than you can chew. I think you're just going to be chewing on it for a while. Yes.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping it's that. If I if I can get past the next phase, then uh, I, I keep saying this but, uh, throughout the project, but it might then be plain sailing to the prototype. But that's like the 10th time I've said it during the project. So once, <laughs> once I get over this, then it's easy. So we'll
0: see. So you clearly have like a backlog of projects that you want to be working on. When are you going to do the moon board game that we've been talking about?
1: <laughs> yes, definitely yes. Whenever that, yes, I don't know.
0: Should, should we talk about our idea or should we like keep it off air in case someone... Nix
1: it oh no they can have it like i'd be more than happy if someone <laughs> creates it to be honest because it saves <laughs> me the bother and i can knock that sort of projects list and uh, just replace it with the other 99 that i've got and then you could actually play it and enjoy it yeah well that's it yeah if someone else wants to do it great <laughs> can you remind me of which idea for the board game because i've got like three four five board games also on the project list
0: So this one would be building a rocket to the moon but it's a collaborative effort so every player builds a certain bit of the rocket and they can play as different nations which have different abilities. So for example German engineering would be brilliant for the rockets whereas I don't know Russian can-do attitude would be good for actually getting us into space.
1: Yeah because I came up with a competitive game didn't I where you we all build a rocket and then at some point, you just decide to launch it and it's a sort of roll of the dice type thing, if it works or not, to simulate how sort of risky space is. So you can do all the very clever engineering, but it rolls three twos and it blows up or something. And then you said, oh, you could, you know, it's actually collaborative. And I thought, oh, that's actually quite, that's genius, that is, because, you know, missions nowadays are collaborative and cooperative board games are quite good. I think also with the um, chucking a mechanic whereby in the board game, if you've, Sort of contracted me to deliver I don't know engines that have I don't know three thrust I could secretly deliver two thrust, pretending it's three and then save all the money myself.
0: Yeah, so there could be like betrayal mode in there <laughs>
1: yeah uh, and you only find out you know once it's launched into
0: space. Ooh, that is that is a genius idea. <laughs> yeah we were talking about like a political aspect to it as well like how Trump is saying, oh we got to get to the moon by 2024 you could just put in deadlines so that makes everyone work harder. Or there was, like, the emotional mechanic as well. And you could say, oh, we're going to launch on this date. It's like, ah, yeah, but that's a sacred date in, say, Russia. That's, like, a really important... That's, like, Lenin's birthday or something like that.
1: Yeah, those sort of things. I think the other thing I thought about was the the, the astronaut deck. So you can sort of add in emotions and sort of damage and uh, sort of uh, (laughs) to the astronauts and the ship and so on so each astronaut gradually sort of goes stir crazy if they're just stuck
0: looping space for ages oh that's something that we could actually do because i just thought about this now you could have astronauts as test pilots on the rocket they have more experience but if the tests go wrong then they have like a ptsd counter so then while they've got more experience on the rocket and know what to do if it goes wrong, they've also got this added danger aspect of, oh God, they might panic more.
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Having a sort of hidden deck, we don't know what emotional state the astronaut will be in (laughs) when uh, a crisis arises.
0: Yeah, exactly. But uh, this is one of the many things on your never-ending to-do list.
1: Uh, Absolutely. So yeah, if anyone wants the board game, uh, feel free to. Give us all all (laughs) credit and and, uh, at least 20% of the cut.
0: Yeah, yeah, that
1: seems fair. <laughs> no, seriously, I did look into board game development quite seriously, but the designer only gets like 5% of the box price, so... Uh, oh, what? Yeah, that's it.
0: That's why they're so expensive.
1: Yeah, it's all on distribution and uh, the risk of production. That's uh, Although Kickstarter's brought that down a bit. But yeah, so if you create the, the Moon board game, it's all yours. You can have the uh, £30 profit that it'll make.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shall we crack on with some Moon news? Uh, yes. So, it's been a while since the last podcast, almost a month exactly, and uh, there's been a few items in the news, despite the fact that there's this global pandemic going on. So, one of the news articles that kind of caught my eye was, China wants a piece of the moon, here's how it plans to handle lunar samples. And I saw this and thought, well, they've already got this planned with part of the Changi missions. Like Changi 4 is the one that's doing the little surveying at the moment, and then Changi 5, it's going to go up to the moon, take a sample and bring it back. That's part of phase 3 of the Chinese Lunar Exploration Program. And phase 3 of 4, the 4th being a Lunar Research Station. And then, way down the line, they're going to do like a manned mission. This was announced in like 2004, I think? 2007? And it's been in the public knowledge for a while that China plans on sending a probe to the moon to take a sample, to bring it back. So why not a clickbaity headline, but the language is very much a us versus them kind of thing. Like, oh, well, China wants a piece of the moon and uh, America very much wants a piece of the moon as well, which we'll talk about in the article just in a minute. Yeah, it just seemed like a weirdly worded and somewhat hostile uh, headline. This is from space.com. It is, but there's also similar articles that have similar, like, alarming headlines.
1: Are they um, American, the chance?
0: I think they will be, yes.
1: Yeah. Um, Just for anyone listening way off in the future, obviously this is being recorded during the pandemic, where there's a slightly anti-China feeling in America at the moment, or certain parts of America. At least the president, anyway. Certain voices. Yes, at least the president who is referring to COVID-19 as uh, the China virus and stuff like that. So seems to be partly that sort of anti-China rhetoric, but also it sets up for what presumably we're going to talk about later, which is the US going to the moon to get moon rocks and do research and various other things. So it's probably setting up the moral case for that.
0: Well, in that very article... It talks about how the former Soviet Union successfully sent up some lunar robots. They were Luna 20, 26, I think. Luna 20 and Luna 24, sorry. And how they successfully retrieved some lunar samples and they got about a couple of hundred grams, less than a kilogram. And then in that very article, it said, the United States brought back much more moon material. The six Apollo missions that touched down on the lunar surface from 1969 to 1972 collected 842 pounds of lunar samples. It's like, all right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I did read that. I mean, if if anything, Russia won the space race they were the first to get a satellite into orbit they were the first to put a man into orbit and uh, i forget what it was that set them back from actually getting a man on the moon i think it was one a couple of very tragic test flights that ended in fatalities uh, which also happened in america but also i think uh, sergei korolev i'm not sure if he died during the missions and uh, let me look that up quickly but uh, what what were you saying
1: yeah, I I've just read that again. Um, where you say it's all the Apollo missions together uh, collected what is it three hundred eighty two kilograms of moon rock? I originally read it as the original Apollo mission. As in, oh. Sorry, just, <laughs> and I was just imagining Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin just shoveling rock, uh, <laughs> just like some prisoners on the moon getting three hundred eighty two kilograms. Uh, but that makes Gonna sense. Gonna
0: dig me a hole.
1: Yeah, that's it but also I was thinking, oh, well, that's a lot. That That's quite heavy. Although then I did remember that actually on the moon, things are a lot lighter.
0: Yeah, but you still need the fuel to get it off the moon and back into the Earth's atmosphere.
1: Uh, yeah, indeed. So, um, and then the fuel to get the fuel up there and so on, as we've discussed before. So
0: uh, I was right, by the way. Uh, Sergei Korolev died in 1966, three years before the Apollo 11 missions, before man first landed on the moon. So if he had not died there was a solid chance that Russia might have got to the moon first because he was was a visionary. Like, the work that he did... Like, you look at the R7 rockets that are launched today and they are near identical to his original rocket that carried Sputnik 1.
1: Is that because they are so perfectly designed, or is it just the Russian economy so bad they haven't (laughs) been able to afford a new designer?
0: I'm gonna go with the prior and the flawless design. There's an actual wonderful thing that you can witness on the launching of an R7, and it's called the Korolev Cross, because, so picture a standard American shuttle you've got the three boosters on the the rocket and then you've got the big orange fuel tank next to it and then you've got the two boosters either side and it launches up and then the two boosters come off and then the big orange tank comes off and then the shuttle goes into space. Well, with the R7, you have this central pillar and then you have four boosters either side of it, symmetrical either side. So if you're like looking at a rocket, they're on the four corners. So as it takes off, these four boosters come off at exactly the same time and they all eject in a perfect cross-like shape and it's called the Korolev Cross. I'll post a, a link to it in the show notes and if you're watching on the YouTube video, it's going to be shown here. It's an absolutely gorgeous thing to see and like, this happened like from the first mission. It's absolutely amazing how way ahead of his time Korolev was. Okay,
1: I'll just Google uh, Korolev Cross. Okay. Uh, In the background. But I'm guessing I'm going to come up with some Russian footballing video of some (laughs) 1980s footballer you're not aware of. (laughs) Yeah, that's quite cool, that, isn't it? That's very good. (laughs) Sorry, to summarise the Chinese one, uh, the Chinese are... There's literally been no change to the plan, it's just sounding a (laughs) lot worse in the American press.
0: Uh, Yeah, let's go with that. So the other article, which leads nicely into the America-centric article that I was going to bring up, which is a Trump executive order is encouraging the US to mine the moon and other astronomical objects, such as mineral-rich asteroids. Now, the executive order says the US will oppose any international effort to bar it from removing chunks of the moon, Mars, or elsewhere in space, which is basically a legal way of saying first come first serve finders keepers it's mine where if they go to the moon try to dig up a bit of it and bring it back and sell the resources in that bit of the moon no one else is allowed to tell them you can't do that which is just so entitled
1: well technically anyone can tell them they're not allowed to do that they've just signed that they will ignore it
0: yes yeah pretty much and they said that we didn't sign the lunar treaty in 1979 and i should point out hardly anyone did. The countries that did are the likes of Belgium and a few other African nations that were never really going to go to space in the first place. The only one that has the economy strong enough to entertain the idea of space exploration is Australia, and they signed it, but no one else that's gone into space has signed it. They're saying, well, we didn't sign this, so we're not legally bound to this, so we we, we can do what we want. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's, that's a good, good legal defence. I mean, I never signed the Human dec- the na- <laughs> National International Declaration of Human Rights, so I can go around stabbing people. Um, I think you'll find that's a, a perfectly solid legal defence and moral defence. Um, so, yaboo sucks to you, Andy.
0: Uh, y- yeah. Now, I have given a presentation yeah, so, or two. In, so,
1: incidentally, I didn't sign the Magna Carta either. so <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to um, yeah, uh, lock up uh, dukes, barons and earls without any sort of trial
0: whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> you awful lord, laird?
1: I think it was mainly on the king, actually.
0: You bad king. Bad king, Rick.
1: Just as a slight tangent, there are some random things in the Magna Carta. Yeah, for those that don't know, the Magna Carta is kind of the closest Britain has to a sort of constitution. It was a document the king was kind of forced to design in... design? supposed <laughs> to sign in 1215, and it gave... Uh, it was kind of a list of do's and don'ts. You know, you can still be king, but you can't do this, you can't do that, and you have to have trial by jury and things like that. But also it, it just had random other stuff in it, like you know, Fred's going to get some sheep or Dave has to leave the country.
0: <laughs> <You know? laughs> we're so sick of you, Dave. Get on this raft. You're going to Iceland.
1: It was. I mean, there, there were um, clauses. I'm trying to look them up now, but there were just some clauses of, like, this person has to leave the country. So people say, oh, it's a great constitutional document. It was kind of a random sort of wish list of what, not what are we going to ask Santa, but what are we going to ask the king
0: uh, of random things we want. If, if you find it, send it to me and I'll put it in the show notes. So America has passed this executive order saying uh, if we go to the moon, take some stuff, bring it back, you can't tell us we can't do that. And I know this is going to come across as anti-American, but how dare they? I'm an advocate of mining the moon in the right way. Going there and setting up a mine to get some of the more powerful resources such as tritium, a resource that could be used in nuclear fusion, using it to as a base to go to Mars. So going there, setting up uh, some kind of like hydrox hydroxylating station where you get the water that's in the ice in the craters and separate out into hydrogen and oxygen so you can make some rocket fuel and then you have some air to breathe. That is all absolutely brilliant. But this just seems far too nefarious and seems to be like Trump offering the private sector a free-for-all like the moon is there if you want to go mine it. If, if you're an American company, go nuts. And again, I know this comes across as anti-Trump and anti-America and that's not what I w- wanted to come across as, because if it was Russia suggesting this or China suggesting this, then I would equally be as like, oh, hang on, buddy. <laughs> don't do not do that. Let's all sort this out together. You know, it's our moon.
1: I think that, it, yeah, I, if, if Russia and China say exactly the same thing, then I think the Americans will object to them doing it. Yes, it does seem a bit... Was it similar to the privateering laws of the golden age of sale or whatever they call it, where it's like, you're free to go and shoot any other nation's ship and capture it and bring bring us back the gold, where a country would just sort of outsource basic piracy to industry and say, that's fine, just don't touch our ships, but anyone else's is fine. It's this sort of, industry's allowed to do this thing that we don't like other countries doing to us.
0: Yeah, they did quote in the article that it's currently like maritime law. If you go there, find it a mine it, it's yours to keep.
1: Yeah, so uh, I can't help but think it's uh, possibly due to America being ahead in this space race. And uh, if they weren't as ahead, they might be thinking slightly differently and saying, you know what, the moon is a shared asset and it belongs to all humanity, not just um, the most technically advanced humans at the moment.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. Although it could be said that Russia, uh, well, maybe not Russia, but China definitely are ahead of them technology-wise. Like look at how long Chang'e 4 has lasted, like that little rover is doing incredible. Still going by the way, it's the longest running lunar rover. Uh, America has the one on Mars, which having just said that, it is actually more impressive that Mars is much further away and harder to get to and it's lasted longer than Chang'e 4. Alright, so America's better in that sense. I've completely taught myself out of that point, you're right. America is the most technically advanced at the moment. But other countries are catching up, and if they do overtake them, America might change its tune. It's like, oh, hang on, you might get there first? Whoa, slow down, guys. Whoa, the, the moon is, is shared, man.
1: Yeah, I can't help but feel it's one of those. If, you, if you've studied jurisprudence and uh, know the John rules, you'll know there's the veil of ignorance argument, where you should make moral rules from behind a veil of ignorance. So you don't know if you're going to be the person born without a leg or... With two legs so therefore you might say actually if anyone's born without a leg they they should get some money or compensation or a wheelchair or something you know you don't wait until you know what position you are in so ah I've got two legs yeah whatever you pay for your own wheelchair type thing so I can I can't help but feel America certainly not behind the veil of ignorance on this one
0: well just look at how they're treating the current pandemic (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, that's a different veil of ignorance, <laughs> <laughs> Pos Possibly they've built a-, a veil of ignorance on that one. Yeah, so they, they understand uh, things that are ex- extraterrestrial rather than terrestrial, I guess.
0: Uh, yes. Although, you say this, uh, and I wasn't actually going to bring this up, but it was a quote in the article I read, and it said... The president appeared to be confused about the composition of space, however, when do, when he tweeted in June that NASA should focus on the much bigger things we are doing, including Mars, which the moon is part of. <laughs> now, now I, I know I know what he meant. He meant, should be focusing on bigger things that we are doing, including Mars, the mission to Mars, of which the moon is part of, as in, going to the moon as part of going to Mars. I'm pretty sure that's what he meant. But, you know, 240 characters doesn't really convey all the points there. No. Maybe don't make these announcements via Twitter. But the journalist in the article said it is unclear whether the president actually thinks the moon is part of Mars, but the two are in fact quite apart. Quite apart, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One of the reasons why I'm a bit hesitant for private sectors and America going to the moon to minor is how it would deface it and how it would scar it and how it would change the way it appears to earth. Because I think, I'm quite confident that I will be able to walk on the moon before I die. Now it might be like in my late 80s early 90s when this happens but I reckon I'll be able to walk on the surface of the moon.
1: If you had enough money or were an astronaut or as a tourist
0: as a tourist, like I'm not smart enough or skilled enough to be an astronaut or a scientist that will be allowed to be an astronaut. But as a tourist, I reckon I'll be able to go. And what I fear is that when I go, it'll just be this huge quarry. Yeah,
1: well, <laughs> surely not all of the moon, but nearby. I think you made a good point at one of your talks as well that the moon is sacred in some religions.
0: Yes it is. the
1: face of the moon so just to start digging it, one digging it up so when it's the sun shines on it and you see the light side that would be bad but also the lights of any mining facilities at night would then be visible when the moon is dark as well and uh, yeah that might annoy certain people. So summing up the US has started to encourage its industry to go and mine the moon and it said it will not, or well, basically it will just ignore everyone.
0: Uh, yeah it's passed this law saying that it's gonna protect the companies if if they do go there and other countries like russia and china weigh in say hey you can't do that america will say ah no we passed this law we wrote it on this paper see
1: and it wasn't written up in the same paranoid way as the china are now going to get some scientific samples which they've been doing for years anyway
0: yeah exactly right (laughs) cool (laughs) quick
1: magna carta break I've just been found, finding an online translation. So, clause number 33 in the British Constitution. All fish weirs shall be removed from the Thames, the Medway, and throughout the whole of England, except on the sea coast.
0: And a fish weir is? <laughs> um,
1: a weir for fish. <laughs> the, the, the river goes one way and the fish have to go another just to declare themselves. It was very controversial at the time. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that's in our constitution. That, okay. Uh, all these fish weirs should be removed. So, if I find a fish wear in any of the rivers, uh, I'm going to smash it. It's, a, it's <laughs> our constitutional right, Andy.
0: Okay, good. America has the right to bear arms. We have the right to smash fish wares. So, after we've just been bashing America for going to mine our precious moon and deface its. Wonderful, beautiful surface. Uh, we're going to talk about a project that's actually building something on the Moon that's actually quite incredible and we're both positive about. Uh, yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're completely um, out of hypocrites.
1: Well, no, I think that there's a, a fundamental difference because this is a uh, for-science type activity on the far side of the Moon, so it's going to be out of visible range. Pe- people on Earth aren't going to see it. But also because it's it's promoting science rather than private profit, I'm personally in favour of it.
0: Yes, you couldn't have said it better. So this is a lunar crater radio telescope where they plan on finding the perfect crater on the far side of the moon and building this huge wire mesh inside it. It's not gonna actually touch the ground. It's not gonna touch the edges of the crater. It's just gonna use the crater as a basin for a dish. So you know, uh, Goldeneye, The James Bond film.
1: (laughs) Yes, I was thinking of the exact same thing.
0: (laughs) So that massive telescope there, I think, is a radio telescope. And you need these huge dishes, like the Jodrell Bank Telescope, and like this one, which I think is in South America, the one that's in GoldenEye. It's a huge dish to get these radio wavelengths, which are pretty big. Uh, You can't detect them on just a simple satellite dish, like the ones that pick up Sky Sports, because those are only going to get wavelengths that are, I think, half the width of the dish, which will be about 30 centimeters, whereas the bigger the dish, the bigger the wavelength you can get, and that tells you a lot about the old universe, because there's these different frequencies of rays that are emitted throughout the universe, so you have like gamma rays and high intensity UV rays, which are quite short, and then you get these huge wavelengths, which are radio waves, And so the bigger the dish, you can pick up these bigger wavelengths, which are often drowned out by lots of noise around Earth. So building it on the far side of the Moon will allow you to detect these otherwise hidden wavelengths, which I think is pretty smart.
1: Yeah, it's pretty good, because the lack of interference as well is really good, because being on the other side of the Moon, the Earth cannot signal to it. Uh, Until they start mining the far side of the moon. And then then using their sort of walkie-talkies for the security guards who are having to patrol the mine site.
0: Well, they just pick up the vibrations, the tremors through it. It would disturb it. So this can only exist before mining on the moon happens. And the proposal they put together means that it actually could exist. And it could exist with the technology we have now. Because what they do is they'd send up these like little walkers, these little probes that would land on the edge of the crater. And then very much like an episode of Thunderbirds, you'd have these little things that put a little wire on the ground behind them. And then they drive into the crater uh, with this little wire coming behind them. And they drive to the bottom of the crater and so the wire will be suspended to the basin and then you'd have more probes coming in that tie all the wires together and then they'd all be pulled together in this like mesh. So you would have this like colander, (laughs) Like, like a sieve in the crater that's just a bit above the basin that would serve as your radar dish to pick up these insanely long wave radio waves.
1: Oh, I see. Yeah, so I'm re looking at the diagram. I was going, "What the hell are you on about?" Because yeah, I-, I saw the um, the the main support strings that are sort of doing a-, a the ones doing a cross, holding up the main sort of receiver. But yes, I didn't didn't see the sort of spider's web at the bottom.
0: Well, look at the image beneath it, and it shows you how they're going to make it.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping that's not the final design diagram.
0: Well, no, it's a speculative <laughs> concept.
1: Okay, I'm just checking. there's <laughs> a Yeah, we've got the plans. <laughs> Because it is sort of a comic book with five frames in it of these happy sort of lunar robots doing stuff.
0: Yeah, but it's not—it's not exactly drawn on a napkin. Some thought has gone into this.
1: No, they've given it to a good graphics artist, so there we go. <laughs> Can't fail.
0: This is still a pretty smart idea, and one that would massively forward science because it would give us a much greater understanding of the background radiation of the solar system when I say background radiation I don't mean nuclear radiation I mean radiation in terms of radio waves the the very low frequency stuff
1: do you happen to know what the sort of range that we can listen to now and what this would enable if you see what I mean
0: so long wavelengths uh, above 10 meters are often lost in the atmosphere or are drowned up by satellites so 10 meters is the stuff that we're trying to pick up, but just can't. Uh, I think the wavelength of radio waves that we pick up from BBC Five Live is like a metre, I think. It's been a while since I studied this, but 10 metres gives us a lot of information about the background radiation of the universe and will allow us to explore aspects of the Big Bang Theory. Cool, and so it's not built yet. No, no, this is just a concept, but they did get given $125,000 when they made this pitch to, I think they made it to NASA and they were awarded this. NASA decided to fund the project, give them more money to develop it further. I mean, it might not come to something, but they obviously see something quite incredible here and they've given them some money to research it further.
1: Wow. Let's hope it works. I'm sure it's something we'll come back to as it uh, as it develops.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I, for one, would love to see this happen, but le- let's see. Let's see where it goes.
1: I've got another Magna Carta clause, Andy. Go for it. Clause number 48. All evil customs relating to forests and warrens, foresters, warreners, sheriffs and their servants, or riverbanks and their wardens are wants to be investigated in every county by 12 sworn knights of the county within 14 days of the inquiry. The evil customs are to be abolished completely and
0: irrevocably. So hang on. If if someone says, oh, he's being evil, they just send in these 14 knights to rough him up.
1: Oh, uh, just 12.
0: Uh, t- sorry, 12, 12 knights within 14 days to rough him up.
1: Yeah, so basically the the law says if the all these evil customs going on in the forests and warrens, they, they must stop. I kind of, I'm, I'm just like, do I agree with this? Well, I suppose so. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm not particularly for evil customs in the forests, but I, I think it's a very generic law. I mean, it also implies that the evil customs, you can do them in urban environments, marshes, that's fine. So yeah, evil customs in the forests, we're not allowed to do that.
0: Well, to give the law some credit, having seen a lot of horror films recently, nothing good happens in the forests, and it tends to mostly be evil. So yeah, I'm I'm fully I, I fully agree with this. I would want knights with me every time I go into the forest, so yeah, that's fine. I'm giving that one a pass.
1: Okay, so any British people who are thinking of doing any evil customs in a forest, a warren, or by a riverbank, you are not allowed to. Twelve sworn knights will be on to you within forty days.
0: Yeah, don't do it. So I have a bit of foreign moon news for you. Um, You know how dust devils are present on Mars, dust devils being a very polite term for like twisters or tornadoes. Well, dust devils could theoretically exist on the Saturnian moon of Titan. Ooh, and how the heck do they know that? Well, Mars has an atmosphere and Titan has an atmosphere. And I think Titan is one of the only moons in the solar system to actually have. An atmosphere that's, like, measurable. Technically, our own moon does have an atmosphere, but it's so thin that there's nothing there, basically. Whereas Titan has a very thick atmosphere. It's one and a half times as thick as Earth's atmosphere. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's pretty thick. And there's a lot of dunes and lakes and deserts on Titan that, show this like wind-like pattern so they're like okay there's wind on Titan and they put all the data they have on it which was collected by the Cassini missions and they were like okay we know the atmosphere is this thick based on the erosion of this shoreline around this methane lake and based on this pattern found in the dune we are able to infer that the wind is this speed and it would have gusts of uh, like of this magnitude so they use this information to simulate how easy would it be to pick up particles and move them around because this is kind of like important to see if life could exist and if life existed how could it move from one place to another like pollination of seeds you need the wind for that and you need wind to move bacteria from one place to another because you know it could carry on pollen it could carry on all sorts of things so they simulated this and they found in the data that it actually created dust devils swirls so in theory twisters could exist on Titan Titan twisters
1: oh so basically they've done a weather forecast for Titan what?
0: yeah if you want to boil it down to that <laughs> yes that,
1: that that's how a simple uh, every every man type character like me will understand it but specifically they've predicted a certain weather pattern a, a, a dust devil uh, are these how big are these things are they like massive? tornadoes, or are they the sort of small meter-high things you get kicking
0: around? Um, That's a good question. I don't know how big they would actually be on Titan, but they have been photographed on Mars, and Mars has a significantly thinner atmosphere than it does here on Earth, and they look pretty high. You could see how far they go with the shadow. I'll put an image on the screen now if you're watching the YouTube video, but if not, there have been satellite images of the Twisters. On Mars.
1: Oh yeah, that—that's. I assume that's uh, okay. Yeah, that could be like on wallpaper, some cotton wool on wallpaper. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I assume that's massive mountains and. Uh, so oh no,
0: on. that's that's no mountains. That's just like rocky terrain. But that's still pretty significant. Yes. Yeah. Sort of rocky outcrops
1: and so. Uh, yeah. No, that was good. That could certainly pick up a house and take it to a uh, uh, Oz.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) That's the tornado size that uh, Omitter. Could this take you to us?
0: Yes, yes, sure. It'll take you to a distant land. But based on this information, which was taken from the Cassini missions, which is now finished, they managed to infer quite a lot of data, but they're going to build on this because there's a new satellite that's going to be sent to Titan called the Dragonfly mission and NASA's going to launch that in 2026 and it's due to get to Titan on 2034. when I say get to Titan, it's not just going to orbit it like Cassini did. Although Cassini did drop the Huygens probe onto Titan, which is why we have these photos of the actual shoreline and the lakes of Titan. Sorry,
1: that does sound like a wrestling move. It dropped the Huygens probe
0: (laughs) onto Titan. Well, Dragonfly is a satellite that's actually going to go to Titan and it will land on Titan, but it's going to take several years to get there uh, and it's going to get there in 2034, 14 years from now. Wow, that's planning. It is. That's how you do it. That's how you plan a mission to a moon. You do it properly. You don't rush it. So I'm a bit sore about this just because of how much they're rushing the Artemis mission.
1: Absolutely. I'd also like to point out in 14 years, might actually get a moon board game out.
0: Yes, hopefully, if you manage to get your programming language done.
1: (laughs) Oh no, not us, just someone. Humanity. Oh,
0: okay. (laughs)
1: I've got another Magna Carta, and a clause that we must be aware of. Uh, Clause 50, we will remove completely from their offices kinsman Gerard de Athley, and in future they shall hold hold no offices in England. The people in question are England de Sigion, Peter and Guy and Andrew de Chancio, Guy de Chancio, Geoffrey de Martini and his brothers, Philip, Mark and his brothers, with Geoffrey, his nephew, and their followers. So, that's the law, Andy, so if any of them...
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it's a spite list? Yeah, basically.
1: <laughs> You know Jeffrey, right? Yeah, him and and I. I just wanted to know how they came up with this list. It's like yeah, Jeffrey and and his brothers. Yeah, just just get them out.
0: Yeah, I know they cheat the pub quiz. Like I, I've lost many a pint of mead to them.
1: If if anyone, any of our listeners find any of those people uh, holding an office in England, then uh, let let the government know, and they'll be onto it.
0: Yeah, they they need to be kicked out immediately. Yeah.
1: That's pretty bad if you have your name in the Constitution as you are constitutionally and not allowed to work, work in this country. Uh,
0: I feel a few amendments coming along yeah. to the American Constitution yeah. if Trump ever finds out about this.
1: You are so bad at bureaucracy that you are just not
0: allowed to work in government. We're going to have to have bouncers on the Houses of Parliament. Yeah. Sorry, your name is on the list. Get out so i stumbled across an article while doing some usual research for the show i like to have a document that when i'm just looking through the news or just doing some general surfing on the internet i come across this article that's moon related and go oh we'll talk about that or that'd be nice to read later on And i came across this one from popular mechanics where they say we have ranked every moon in the solar system and when they say rank, they mean from best to worst, like a top 40. But what they've done is they've ranked every moon in the solar system. Also, they claim. So they've ranked 164 moons. And the moons they've ranked are, as they claim, we've included, for this ranking, they've included all confirmed moons and a few bonus moons. Confirmed moons, in their case, meaning. Moons that have a name, in which case they've just lost a bunch of moons, which are confirmed, they just don't have a name yet. And then the bonus moons are moons around dwarf planets or asteroids that they found interesting. Now I should point out, I'm going to come across as really snotty and snobby and I don't want to appear as that. So I just want to make a few clarifications that Yes, this article does say it is purely subjective. And I'm not going to nitpick on, oh, you've labelled that wrong, and, oh, you've said this is prograde when actually it's retrograde. I'll bet you are, Andy. No, no, I'm I'm not going (laughs) to do that.
1: But I bet there's a little third part of you that's, that's oh, hang on, that moon's prograde, and they've got it wrong, I need to correct a thing on the internet.
0: No, because people won't stop correcting me of things that I have missed said or any spelling mistakes that i've done this is something that has always bugged me when i've like made a spelling mistake on something and they'd be like spelt that wrong it's like yeah okay but i still know the thing yeah (laughs) (laughs) like if a heart surgeon spells the name of a heart valve that's i don't know 30 letters wrong and he happens to mix up the a and the e because it's in latin does that mean he can't do the surgery yes strike him off the list Get him
1: off the GMC register. No, I know what you mean. But I, I'm going, basically, I'm, I see my role in this as sticking up for these fine people who are uh, taking an interest in moons.
0: If the ultimate goal of this is to get moons into the public eye, brilliant. 100% with you guys. And their choices for the top 20, I do quite agree. Like These are moons that I would put, put in the top 20. They are the more interesting moons of the solar system. Like, their number one choice was Titan, which is a moon that has an atmosphere and methane lakes. There's a high chance that life could be there. In fact, that's why there might be methane on Titan, because of life, cut from chemical reactions from organic and uh, little uh, microbes. So that is phenomenally interesting.
1: I don't know if you know this, Andy, but it's got dust devils as well.
0: Oh, it does. That's a good point.
1: (laughs) Oh, I'll send you a link.
0: Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, of course, in the top 20, you've got Io, the moon that's entirely covered in volcanoes. You've got Enceladus, which has cryovolcanoes and subsurface oceans. You've got Triton, which disrupted all the moons of Neptune and created the chaotic orbit that it is today. So, their choice for the top 20. Don't fault it at all.
1: Is this, sorry, is it because... I I read this and it's like every moon ranked and I couldn't work out what they're ranking because they said oh the some are prograde some are retrograde some are regular some are irregular some are eccentric orbits so I was like well, what are you actually ranking it on is it distance or size or and it 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 just seems to be one of those things where someone comes up with their top ten albums or top ten films it's it's quite subjective.
0: Absolutely. And the article does say it is subjective. Yes. So I'm trying to inf- I'm trying to figure out what made them choose the moons that are in the top 20. And it turns out they did a Twitter poll and they asked some people for guidance of which moons do you like? So they're putting some feelers out and getting uh, opinions from the public, from some well-known scientists, by the way, who weighed in. So that, that's good to see that this article is coming from such like a wide selection pool. But everything from... 20 below, uh, from from what I can tell, it's just a popularity contest where they've picked moons. <laughs> no, like they have, and hear me out. Yeah. Because everything in the bottom 100, there is virtually no more information about this moon other than when it was discovered, what it's called, and its basic orbital parameters. So how far away from its parent planet it is, eccentricity, inclination, how long it takes to orbit, the basic orbital data, the stuff you need to prove that it's a moon of that planet. Then what else do you have to go on? Well, I guess the name, and that's when I started to get on a little pedestal here, and I I looked at the moon in last place, which is called Dyer. Dyer is a moon of Jupiter in the Himalaya group. So I actually wrote a script for this, and I will be making a video about it, is why is Dyer in last place? Because frankly it shouldn't be, because for Dyer there's actually more information about this little moon than there is for the majority of those in the bottom hundred. You've got all of these moons that are basically grouped together based on the groups that they're in. So for example, you've got This is from the bottom up. You've got the Himalaya group, then the Pasiphae group, then the Gallic group, which belongs to Saturn. Then they've just clumped all of Uranus's irregular moons together. They they haven't given a reason as to why one moon is above another. So within the uh, Uranus group, in 141th place, you've got Ferdinand. And then in 133, you've got Margaret. And then in between, It's not in alphabetical order, it's not in orbital distance, it's just there. So there's no real reason, that's not a ranking, that's just, oh you've got this group, and then this group, and then this group. And I can completely understand why they've grouped them together. You can't rank them because there's nothing else to go on. There's just a name, a discovery date, and a bit of data, that's it. you, You can't do anything else with it. So I'm fascinated by moons, and that's what the Lunatic Channel is. It's I'm trying to make a video for every single moon of the solar system. There's going to be a point, though, when I'm going to say there is nothing to say about this moon other than it was discovered in this state, it has this orbital data, and it's named after this. I'm going to have to think of something creative in order to explain this, and I've got an idea for one or two of them, but I'm gonna eventually run out of steam and that's clearly what's happened with this article they've started ranking them and then gone i have absolutely nothing to say about this (laughs) there's there's nothing here other than it was discovered in this day it was discovered here and it's got this orbital data that's it so they 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 really did paint themselves into a corner some moons are way more fascinating than others how can there not be when you've got an ice moon right next to a volcano moon Some moons are just hunks of rock that orbit a planet, but there is a lot of information in that hunk of rock. You just got to know what to do with it. And you can't say this hunk of rock is, deserves to be ranked higher than this hunk of rock because they all play different roles in the picture.
1: Yeah, I, I get what you mean. So I, I was, I thought you were being very bitter and twisted, but that actually does make a lot of sense. That yeah, perhaps you're what you're looking for is we've ranked this group higher than that group, and this group is 133 to 141, and that includes these moons. Put them in your own order or whatever. You know, you don't you don't create this precision that you know. Yeah. Margaret is uh, 133, and someone else is 134, because that implies there's some reason. It's like yeah, it's like if I'm uh, taking an average of bus times from here to town or whatever, and I record it to six decimal places, it, it gives this weird sense of precision that has, <laughs> yes has no no real co- uh, it gives a, it could imply a false sense of accuracy or something. Okay, okay. yeah. yeah. Uh, I have learned uh, you know uh, just from reading the list that uh, there's a moon called Margaret.
0: Yeah, there's uh, that'll be based on the cleaner or just <laughs> it's just like nice. that'll be based on one of the characters from a Shakespeare play or no, from one of Alexander. So the moons of Uranus are based on either William Shakespeare's play *The Tempest* or characters from Alexander Pope's poem *The Rape of Locke. It's one of those two.
1: Yeah, because they all they're all quite um, yeah Shakespearean names. Yeah. I'm guessing, it was, yeah, Margaret just seemed a bit odd.
0: Yeah, it'll be like... a character from The Tempest, I believe. Let me double check that. Ah, no, Much Ado About Nothing. I was wrong. So in which case, it's the moons of Neptune that are from The Tempest and Rape of Lock and Uranus will be Much Ado About Nothing. I think that's the case. It's been a while since I looked at these moons, and I do plan to do more videos about moons of Neptune and Uranus because they've been Jupiter-centric and Saturn-centric recently.
1: Quick one, yeah, uh, Prospero's the Tempest.
0: I'll ah, think. there you go, so... Um,
1: yeah, they're all sort of from... <laughs> well, they all seem to be from a, a tragedy, apart from Margaret, who's from a comedy.
0: Ah, oh, your Shakespearean knowledge is much better than mine. I, I hate Shakespeare with a passion.
1: Although it does say Margaret is the only prograde irregular moon of so maybe they're doing it right, all prograde are going to be comedies. The um, <laughs> <all> retrograde uh, <laughs> tragedies.
0: Uh, I'll send you the list with that, and uh, let me know.
1: I think that's a great way of like naming moons. I think that should be adopted by the IAU for any moons they discover. That any prograde has to be like a comedy character. That is and... a
0: solid suggestion because they do need rules like that. So yeah. I will, I will suggest this.
1: Here's, here's here's going to the moon of like Basil Fawlty or
0: Cap-
1: <laughs> Captain Mannering <laughs> or something. <laughs>
0: um so one of the things that i wanted to talk about which will make me come across as snotty and like uh i know more about this than you and that's their choice for the himalia group in last place especially with the moon of dyer in last place because there's more information about dyer than there is for the other 100 because dyer was a lost moon that was rediscovered and it They actually had this photo of a cloud of debris around Himalaya, the moon that the group is named after that Dyer's also in. So they saw this debris cloud and they thought, oh, well, Dyer smacked into Himalaya and it's just gone now. But then they rediscovered it a few years later, so it actually came back from the dead, which to me... (laughs) Yeah. bumps it up a couple of notches, right?
1: Yeah, uh, well, if you've described all the others, yeah, they're a bit of rock, we don't know much about them beyond the discovered to it came back from the dead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's an anecdote, you know. Yeah,
0: exactly. If you're in a
1: pub and someone says, well, uh, here's my birthday and you don't know much more about me, and someone else says, I came back from the dead. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the person that says
1: I came back from the dead is probably the more interesting one.
0: Yes, exactly. And also they're bunching them together by groups. Uh, so you've got the moon groups for Jupiter are Carme, Pasiphae, Ananke and Himalaya. And the most interesting out of those is Himalaya, because it's the closest to Jupiter, it's prograde, so it orbits in the same direction as the planet spin, whereas the other three are retrograde. They they're much further out and they orbit in the opposite direction. Now all of these moon groups are indicators of a collision. So the biggest moon in each of these groups, which in the Himalaya group will be Himalaya, Kame group, Kame, you get the gist. They are the biggest members and what will have happened is there will have been an impact on Himalaya millions of years ago, that shattered it and sent all this debris out into space, and that debris got caught up in Jupiter's orbit and became moons. So Dyer is a chunk of moon, as is Ursa, Leader, Lysithia, Ilara and Though Those are all the members of the Himalaya group. So those are all chunks of Himalaya that are whizzing around Jupiter in a similar orbit because they all came from the same moon. But Himalayas is more dispersed, meaning it will have interacted with other moons and potentially undergone a second collision which makes it more interesting than the other groups who have only undergone the one collision because their orbits are really really tight which indicates there was just one uh, chaotic impact whereas the Himalaya group it's more dispersed which indicates more impacts in it so the moon they put in dead last Is more interesting than the most in the bottom 100 and the group they put in last is actually more interesting than most of the other groups in there. So this is why I'm being a bit, uh, actually you should have rearranged it this way, but I'm also thinking about the person who was tasked with writing this and going, Oh, God, there's so many of them. How the hell do I research all this? It's due in on Friday. <laughs> uh, I've got I've got my top 20 sorted. In fact, I've got my top 50 sorted. There's another 120 to do. Oh, God, what do I do?
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, yeah, if I was reading this as a layperson, you could have written anything you like from <laughs> <laughs> sort of, you know, 12 onwards, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> Oh, there's a moon called pancetta yeah why
0: not well that that's another thing that i wanted to bring them up on there's a moon of jupiter called kali but it's spelled kale k-a-l-e and they put that in 47th place which is nuts and they put it above some genuinely interesting moons like methanie which is this inc- it's so perfectly smooth it's like a pebble in space it's incredible and it's above trojan moons which tell us so much about the dynamics of the saturnian moon system and just the solar system in general that uh trojan moons are the ones with the lagrangian points by the way okay, the ones yeah. that that you're the ones that you're <laughs> sick of, <laughs> of me talking about
1: well it's just they're so easy to explain that's the thing. oh
0: yeah ab- absolutely especially <laughs> without visuals uh and then you've got the inner moons of moon Jupiter, which we have talked about in length, such as Metis uh, and Adrastea, Adrastea being the first moon discovered by a satellite, and Metis being the fastest moon of the solar system, both of those are way lower than Kali, which has the 47th spot just because it shares the same spelling as that stupid, leafy, trendy green that they serve with burgers in restaurants that doesn't get eaten. I'm talking about kale, of course. That stupid substitute for lettuce and spinach.
1: I'm going to sort of try and calm you down a bit, Andy. Uh, (laughs) No, I get your arguments. It does seem... Are you going to do some sort of response to this? Because, like, you know when rap groups slag each (laughs) other off, they keep releasing records and response records. Is this going to be Andy's top umpteen list of moons? Uh, And it's going to go on you versus Popular Mechanics.
0: So I'm not going to do a diss track and I'm not going (laughs) to be as vitriolic as I have been on here. I, I already know I regret going as... Uh, intense as I did just then when I edit this in the future. But I am going to make a video, and it's going to be called In Defense of Dyer," which is the moon in last place, because that little moon doesn't deserve to be in last place if you're going to give Kali, Kale, 47th spot. That should be in the bottom 100. Bump up some of the others.
1: I think you should do a full list, do a full response list. That would be good.
0: That would take years.
1: Oh, yeah, well, just do it, you know, give yourself a deadline and then throw anything in random order, and then the next Andy down the line will complain that you had a deadline and, and you had to chuck stuff in random order. And so the, the sequence goes on into history.
0: Oh, uh, I see what you mean. No, I, I, the buck stops with me. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> okay. So if the buck stops with you, you give us the definitive list of moons.
0: Uh, okay. I'll, I'll, start, I'll start on the list, and it'll get to you by... The time Dragonfly gets to Titan.
1: Yeah, that's it. You've got 14 years. We'll give you that. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, sh- I should be able to s- sort it out by then.
1: And if you can do a moon board game. <laughs> <laughs> Another Magna Carta, Clause Andy, that we need to be aware of as British citizens. Clause number 58. We will at once return the son of Llewellyn, all Welsh hostages, and the charter's delivered to us as security for peace. So can we all just check we've returned the son of Llewellyn and any Welsh hostages? If any listeners have any Welsh hostages, please return them. Uh, you're not allowed to keep Welsh hostages. Uh, we, we do have to return
0: them. Fair enough. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll go let Evan Evans out of the cupboard.
1: Yeah, I just like also the son of Llewellyn. They, he had no name. Just look. <laughs> Look, guys. I mean, have, you,
0: have you met Llewellyn's children? Yeah. They're so boring.
1: It's just like the Magna Carta. Uh, Llewellyn seems a bit down, and he's not going to sign it unless. We're, all right, well, well, we'll release his son. All right, okay. <laughs> you know, we we do like you, Llewellyn. We just we just had to kidnap your son. I'm sorry, Oh, and all the other Welsh hostages, but particularly the son of whatever his name is. But Llewellyn, we you know, sorry, Llewellyn, yeah. And they've been very good. They haven't added a subclause that when we release you Welsh lot, don't do any evil things in the forest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it wouldn't be a Honest Andy's Discount Moon show without Moon of the Month. Yay. Hey. hey, delayed yay. Uh, so this next full moon in the UK will be on the 7th of May and it is the Flower Moon. Da.
1: Ah, uh, so, sorry, yes.
0: We <laughs> you do... seem distracted by the Magna Carta.
1: Yeah, no, so I was thinking, did, didn't we do Flower Moon last month?
0: So I swear we have done something similar to this, but I think you might be thinking of the Phlox Moon.
1: Oh, that was it, yes. I did check up on, is Phlox, that was it, is Phlox pink? Because it was the Phlox Moon and the Pink Moon. Ah, yes. And you said, ah, uh, don't you know that? Because your wife, it works in horticulture. Uh, the answer is... I don't, just because my wife works in horticulture, I know as much about plants as she does about firewalls and antivirus solutions, so <laughs> <laughs> that's the first thing to say. But I did go and chat to my lovely wife, and uh, as I do many a time, and ask her about phlox and are phlox pink, and do they come out in April? She said, no, that's just, no, they don't, they're, they're June or whatever. So uh, a bit of wikipedia later, she said, oh yeah, actually there's a subgenus or species or something in America that does, and it's in a certain humidity group or geographical zone, and then I got sort of lectured at, at different growing climates and conditions, because the world of horticulture is split into sort of zones based on what your average temperature is, what your highest temperature in the year is, what your lowest one is, and stuff like that. Okay. And then you can sort of say, oh, well, okay... Cornwall is a different growing environment to Scotland, for example. But Scotland is very similar to some place in Peru. So you could exchange seeds or growing tips between these environments. Uh, Well, actually, don't exchange seeds. That might be illegal.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yes.
1: (laughs) Uh, But if if the the plants happen to be legal to grow uh, in the same growing environment. So, yes, uh, flock, there is a, a pink genus or species or something of flocks uh, and that's pro- probably where the pink moon comes from
0: okay so if it happens to be just in a certain bit of america in a certain microclimate almost it is very fortunate that there just happens to be a moon naming committee in that same area and they're like well if there's pink flocks here there's going to be pink flocks everywhere right that we may as well name the moon after that if it's if i see pink flowers there's going to be pink flowers everywhere
1: let's name it that Yeah, that's probably what... That's exactly how they spoke as well. (laughs) Uh,
0: So uh, there might be some more uh, horticultural knowledge here because 7th of May for the next UK full moon is the flower moon. And it's it's named that because in most areas, flowers are abundant everywhere. That's a very sensibly named moon. Can't argue with that. But some of the other names include the milk moon and I think that's because there's a lot of calves about uh, and lambs are just baby farm animals who are needing milk from their parents from their mothers so they're getting milk hence the milk moon okay kind of makes sense
1: yeah I agree uh, sorry just on that the chickens in our garden are um, yeah they're all going broody and shouting at each other uh, ah, okay. which they do every year although to be fair they lay eggs and don't feed their um, children's milk. So The point is... Sorry, the interruption was based. There are farm animals wanting children. <laughs> yeah, there definitely are. There's bloody shouty chickens. Uh,
0: so the other name is the full corn planting moon. Yep, you got to plant that full corn. Yeah. Now, corn planting moon, I kind of get, because it's like, right, if you want your corn to be yay high by the harvest time, you need to plant your corn at this... Time, the moon time, fine, get it. Full corn planting moon, does that mean you plant your whole crop, your full crop, or you get last year's harvest and just replant it in the ground as full corn in the hopes of getting 200% corn? So we've got 100% corn that we're planting, and then we'll get 200% corn.
1: Okay. I kind of read it differently I thought it was like you know when they have you go on a stag do and everyone gets t-shirts printed or something It's instead of Dave Smith it's Dave Funny Man Smith and the ah. nickname's in brackets so I thought it was not full moon full corn planting moon
0: yes I thought this too but the other two moons named in that article are flower moon and milk moon and they don't have full flower moon or full milk moon they just have milk moon hence why I was like well full corn planting moon
1: yeah well to be fair they're just lucky they got invited on the stag do quite frankly (laughs) the party sinks when the milk moon turns up it's just like he sits sits there drinking milk you know he's no fun
0: oh see the thing about this milk is it's been filtered and it's cravendale and i really like it especially when it's been chilled at exactly (laughs) seven and a half degrees that's the kind of person you don't want on a stag do yeah
1: Just meanwhile, he's just sat on a curb doing that while all his mates are in the background vomiting, eating kebabs and fighting police officers.
0: Should I line your stomach with some nice milk?
1: Yeah, he's just wandering around with a carton of UHT.
0: (laughs) Doesn't need refrigerating, see? I keep it in my coat. And instead of, like, those... Everyone else around him is doing all sort of nefarious powders and he's just got those, like, little... Slither pocket UHT milks that he's nicked from the <laughs> hotels. Uh, so some other names for full moons in May are Mother's Moon, uh, and the other is Bright Moon. No idea why. Every full moon is bright. Maybe it's because the clouds are clearer in spring, and the winter's gone, so it's not as cloudy, and therefore it's the first time you've seen the moon full moon in ages because there's no clouds, and therefore it's the brightest?
1: Maybe. Uh, there's also the Idle Moon.
0: So, remember that Suin Suin tribe from Montana that had the hard time moon, the long day moon, and the sore eye moon? Yeah. The stories of the hangover. Uh, Last month was the frog moon, which didn't play into our hangover mythos that we conjured up. But this moon, the moon of May, is so perfectly appropriate for both the hangover analogy and how we're all currently feeling. And that is the idle moon. Brilliant, yes. That's
1: that does fit in. You could possibly strap a light backwards that the frog is some sort of hangover cure. Yes, we,
0: and then they're just like vegging out on the couch. They didn't have
1: aspirin or Alka Seltzer. Just just eat a frog.
0: <laughs> well, I'm a bit peaky. Oh, do I have to eat the whole thing? Yes, the whole thing. It'll cure it. So that is the moons of the month. There weren't. There wasn't anything as daft as there has been in previous months, other than the full corn planting moon, which still can't wrap my head around that one. Why it has full in there, but it does. Uh, so yeah, moon of the month. I enjoy these. I hope you enjoy them too. And this leads us on to,
1: and the next moon is
0: Amalthea. Hey. So if you think back to some of the previous moons that we've done on and the next moon is where we look at every moon in the solar system and give it its like little heyday. We've talked about the moons of Mars, Phobos and Deimos, and now we're covering the inner moons of Jupiter, going from the innermost one to the outermost one. The closest one was... Uh, oh, God. Uh, Io. No. Metis. Yes. Be. And then the next one after that was... Adrastea. Yes, Adrastea and this moon which is the largest of the inner group of moons because there's groups of moons orbiting jupiter like they're easier to categorize if you group them and so there's four inner moons of jupiter and amalthea is the largest of them and something that i only found out while reading up on this moon it was one of the earliest moons to be discovered, it was the fifth moon of Jupiter to be discovered after the four Galilean moons, and it was discovered in 1892, despite it being a hundred kilometres across. That's incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah, So I'm just trying to get that. So how far away is it? Bloody miles.
0: So the distance to Jupiter is 5 AU. I was way off. So five times the diff- distance between Earth and the Sun, which is still a long way though to be able to see it from telescopes in 1892.
1: Yeah, that, that's
0: pretty okay. impressive.
1: <laughs> because also, I'm guess, I guess you're, you're looking not only at a telescope, but you, through a telescope, you have got to point it in an exact position in the sky. Yes. You will then see some sort of white dot that you will magically recognise, oh, that's not a star, that's something different.
0: Well, you which... map it against the backdrop of stars.
1: Yeah, which is kind of easy to do if you're, you know, looking at all the stars, but if you're looking at a a sort of small cross-section of, uh, you know, a smaller circle of space.
0: Well, the reason why we're able to track all these very, very small moons around Jupiter now is because we have the technology to basically lock on to something. We have a computer to go you know those stars are there. If you see something in there that is not where it should be, that'll be a moon. So it's just able to just do a for loop of just looking at the sky all the time.
1: Yeah, so what I'm getting to, if I gave you like a picture of dots, and so you say, all right, well, I can see anywhere. Then if I take a, sort of, a small square of it or circle of it, and then zoom in and expand some of the dots, but add more dots because you can now see more dots because you're nearer, yeah. The only way you know that the background dots are now stars is you have to keep just watching them. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, oh, flipping. How much must you have watched? <laughs>
0: just Quite a while. And do you, know what's, do you know what's even more incredible? This moon was the last moon to be discovered by direct visual observation.
1: I'm not surprised.
0: All the others <laughs> were discovered using digital imagery or photographic. Hmm. So you just have a photo at of something and then you develop it over time or, like they did with Voyager and Adrastea, send up a satellite and take a photo of it there. But this is absolutely amazing that in 1892 they discovered this 100 mile across moon.
1: But also, how, how does he convey that? Because if he says, oh, I've seen a moon, it's near Jupiter. Everyone kind of goes, all right, well, we know Jupiter. Could you sort of go, well, it's a bit to the left and down a bit? And sort of, is it that easy, just to say? Like, in, in a newspaper? like gentlemen of the day, please direct your telescopes to, you know, presumably got some sort of coordinate system on the universe now where we can give exact laser-guided yeah. directions to telescopes and have umpteen of them on Earth all synchronised. Whereas back in the day, we, you know, please point your telescopes to slightly one inch of... Uh, a finger extended out at no more than a yard away from your nose to the left or whatever.
0: So, he submitted this in 1892 and called it Discovery and Observations of a Fifth Satellite of Jupiter. And he sent this to the Astronomical Journal. So I'm just getting up the link to it now. Uh, All right, it takes ages for me to find a copy of the paper, so I'll add it into the show notes. But I'm guessing it will be. If you point your telescope in this direction at these coordinates, you will observe the fifth one because he's submitted it to a journal. It will be peer-reviewed, although with a bit more scientific merit to it than, gentlemen of the day, point your telescopes up and you'll see it.
1: I hope there is a bit more, but (laughs) I I wouldn't be at all surprised.
0: So other than just that incredible origin story to it, there is a lot more going on with this little moon. Like, for example, it's the reddest moon of the solar system.
1: Okay, yeah. Sorry, I was, I was just trying to... no, no, Mars! No, Mars is red. Oh no, hang on,
0: <laughs> that's not a moon. Right. It's not, it's a planet. Yeah. But Amalthea is incredibly red, and this is thought to be sulfur from Io, so during the many explosions from the volcanic activity on Io, and also from impacts on Io, so there'll be like meteorites that hit it and kick off a bunch of dust that go up into the atmosphere and are pulled towards Jupiter, and as they're pulled towards Jupiter they'll go through Amalthea's orbit, so it will absorb, so a lot of that red dust will just land on its surface, uh, and this is kind of proven because the leading surface is a lot redder, and the trailing surface, the leading surface being the surface that actually goes into the dust, whereas the trailing one is the one that's on the other side. So it's thought to be red due to the fact there's sulphur from another moon landing on it, but also that it's made of non-ice material that's kind of like left over from when Jupiter was forming.
1: OK, so that's, uh, yeah, because I'm, I'm always looking for the unique property of this thing. So this is the reddest Saturn so there's, moon.
0: I think there's several yeah, going on and-
1: with this moon. And it was the last to be discovered using a moustached gentleman.
0: (laughs) I mean, the images of it are quite incredible as well, to the point where you can pick out what are called bright spots on it, which indicate like a lot of ice on it because of how reflective the surface is. And then there's actual craters which are huge compared to the size of, of the actual moon itself. There's one on there called Gaia, even, which was named after the mother of Zeus. And, of course, Zeus, Jupiter, there's the connection there. And this crater takes up a third of the height of the moon. So that's like the equivalent of all of Europe being a crater on Earth.
1: I'll uh, get the Brexiteers happy. <laughs>
0: uh, but, yeah, there, there are your unique properties. There's also... A theory which was proposed by Willy Ley, or Willy Lee, who was a German-American science writer who knew about this moon. And because it's in a synchronous orbit with Jupiter, which means the same side always faces Jupiter because it's tidally locked, like our own moon and Earth, and it's far enough away from Jupiter that you can see the whole of the planet and observe it, and it's big enough that you can put a base on it. So you could set up uh, like a reconnaissance base on Amalthea and you could have this the same view of Jupiter all day, every day.
1: Uh, Okay, yeah, I got that, yeah.
0: So there's a photo on the Wikipedia article which kind of like simulates the view of Jupiter from Amalthea. So I'll post it in the show notes. But that like there's a lot going on with this little moon, right? The reddest moon, perfect base to set up close proximity to Jupiter. The last moon discovered by visual observations. There's a lot going on.
1: Yeah, that's good. Right, I remember that. Amalthea.
0: Okay, so let's recap. What was Metis?
1: Uh, That was the meeting planet. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was the fastest planet around Jupiter, because that was the nearest.
0: Fastest moon in the solar system. Fastest moon in the solar
1: system, yes and it, it it goes about 8 hours or something 7 hours 50 minutes that was the nearest one then the next one out was adrastea yep and that was second best that's how you remember that one it's just not <laughs> good ha <laughs> it's the second fastest in the solar system but no one no one remembers that
0: that's true but also it was the first moon discovered by a satellite
1: that was it so this is the last one to be discovered by a telescope
0: Amalthea. Yes, and there's many more aspects to it as well. But yeah, that that was a this is a good feature that you suggested because I do quite like I like talking about the moons and what makes them special, and that I think that's the point of the videos that I'm going to have going forward is what makes this special.
1: So yeah, just on the chronology. So I, I got the idea that you would like talking about the moons, uh, but about show eleven, I've picked that up. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> there were some subtle hints dropped in the other shows. Um, Amalthea is the last one to be discovered by. A observation of a telescope and uh Androsteer is the first one to be discovered by satellite. Is that chronologically they follow on from each other or is there another technology in between? That is a I was gonna good... say electron microscope, but that's that's not gonna help. <laughs> <That's the laughs> electron microscope going the other way, some sort of you know, big telescope or something, I don't know. That gold golden eye telescope, maybe for example. That that must have discovered something.
0: So think I can get this. Yes, I can get this information up. Uh, No. So between Amalthea and the others, no, there was another moon discovered after Amalthea called Phoebe, which is a moon of Saturn. And it was discovered seven years later. And it was discovered using photographic plates, so they'd had a telescope pointed at Saturn and then they had the images developed on photographic plates. So what they will have been able to have done is compared those photographic plates over several nights and been able to have seen a difference in the background stars. So if one of those is moving, that'll be a moon. So Phoebe, first moon to be discovered by photographic plates, but we'll get onto that when it's Phoebe's turn. Uh, okay. So they don't follow directly on from each other. In fact, there's many moons. Pluto's moon of Charon, was discovered before Adrastea was first discovered. So Pluto's moon of Charon was discovered before Adrastea was.
1: Oh, right, Pluto. Yes, that's quite a way away. How did they do that then without satellites?
0: That will have been through... So yeah, they discovered Pluto using... uh, Discovered Charon using photographic plates. Wow. But I'll get to that one at a later date. We've got these... We've got many more to cover. So in the meantime, the next moon we're going to cover is... DB, which is the final of the inner moons of Jupiter, and hopefully you'll have your programming language up uh, next month.
1: Yeah, that and the board game.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, you're not working, so chop chop.
1: Yeah, I've got all the time in the world. Uh,
0: bye. you <laughs> Honest Andy's Discount Moon Show! Yeah, like a shady mafia boss. It's saying, hey, we'll offer you protection, but I'm guessing it's going to come at a price that they haven't yet mentioned.
1: (laughs) I was going to say that's, I don't know if that's summing up. That's asking a new question.